Welcome to the Simpleton Podcast, the podcast with the very best introductions of all Catholic podcasts. I'm here, Clark and War are your hosts, and we're here with Sister Anne Cattery, who we've known for a very long time. How are you doing, Laura and Sister Anne Cattery? We're doing well. Thanks. Good to be with you. Well, good. And you are a CFR sister. Mm-hmm. Stay for maybe 15 years. Is that about right? Um, 18 now. 18. Great. Yeah. And your state, and you are the superior or the servant at the house in Atlantic City. That's right, Atlantic City, New Jersey, of all places. Well, good. We have a lot of questions for you. Very investigative journalism style. What do you got, Laura? <laughs> well, um, we one of our early podcast episodes was talking about um, Exodus Youth Ministries, which was a ministry that was really influential on a simple house. And so that's the connection. Um, when I was in high school, we had like a career day and there was like, you could go listen to like, you know, two or three of like 30 people talk. And, um, at that point in my life, I was a little bit like disappointed with (laughs) politics, which I thought was like the way to help the poor maybe. And, um, we, a friend and I ended up in sister Ann Cattery's talk and she was working at Exodus at that, um, time. And my heart just sang, (laughs) um, when I heard her speak. And so then for my senior project in high school, um, I did a few weeks at Exodus, uh, with a friend of mine. And so, and then I went to Catholic U and continued doing Exodus. And that's how I met you and you met Sister Ann Cattery. And so that's the connection. Does that sound accurate to you, Sister Ann Cattery? <laughs> yeah, sure. Wow. And I'm, I just, you know, so, so touched at how God uh, worked through all of that and to yeah. think of what has come from that meeting many, many years ago and uh, to have seen, to have known Laura since she was, uh, that was maybe your junior year, your senior year? It was year? my senior year. Your senior like, year yeah. of high school. I was just 18, and I think there was a question about whether I was supposed to be able to go out and do ministry, which we didn't fully answer. We just, we just did. did it. We just did it. <laughs> we just did it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a very blessed time for me, um, those few weeks. And um, yes, I don't know. But I, I think uh, at that point, you were also working at Visitation High School or... Um. Were you doing Exodus? Full Let's time? see what year would that have been. I, I started two thousand one to right. Yeah. Now I was doing Exodus full time, and and maybe the youth minister at Little Flower okay, Parish in Bethesda. Right. Yeah, yeah, I started. I was at Visitation from two thousand three to two thousand five. Yeah, um, I have kind of a question about this. So, like, my involvement with Exodus would have been probably three years after Laura's internship, and Exodus was getting smaller and more volunteer and there weren't employees as much anymore. I think there was one when I started in zero by the time I left, you know? Um, and sometimes you guys would talk about like it being really big and you'd show like photos of like when DuPont circle was kind of a mess and Exodus serving in that. How long were you with them? Sister Anne. So in, in 1999, um, myself and mother sacred heart, who was Ruth Gaze then, signed on to be like full-time missionaries. And we were the first um, of, of that nature. Um, Mary Lyman uh, Jackson had hoped to form like a missionary house mm. um, to have full-time missionaries supporting her. This is, of course, 
after the passing of her husband, Logan. So the, the really big ministry preceded me, um, definitely when Logan was alive. Um, but I came in in September of 1999. And then in um, late October, Mary Lyman's cancer kind of came back full um, full swing and she had to really pull out. So the great hopes to really build up the missionary program and to keep the ministry operating at the level at which it had been um, kind of started to seem not realistic. And Ruth and I did what we could as 22 year olds who were new to the ministry. Um, You know, I learned how to drive the RV (laughs) and, um, and, 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 and Ruth and I did what we could with Mary on the phone guiding us. So, yeah. So just to like, um, we, we, it's now been 50 episodes, I think, since we like actually did an episode on Exodus youth ministry. Yeah. So the oh. 10 cents for people who aren't, who haven't been following us that long is that it was a ministry that did like, um, Bible studies for kids in public housing or in, you know, kind of distressed areas. And it was really kind of wild and cool. Cause it, part of it was like rolling in with a Winnebago, or an RV, you know, and just pulling up to the corner and gathering up kids and starting to, you know, evangelize. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and when we were full time and we were going during the day, so that was what we would do in the evenings with volunteers. But during the day, we'd run Bible studies for, for older, older peoples at the, at the community centers there. And Mary Lyman had a whole network of different people in these housing projects that she had befriended. So we'd either in their homes or in the in the local community centers there being among the, with, with the elderly people. Yeah. One of the things that really helped me in the whole thing was just how it seemed like Exodus was the most out there ministry that I knew of. Yeah. You know, and it helped me see what was possible. Yeah. There's definitely a boldness to, to going where a lot of people wouldn't go pulling up, just making ourselves there and, and present and, and building relationships. Um, that, that a lot of people weren't doing. Right. Maybe I shouldn't have been bringing 18 year old with me into all of that, but it was great. But I, it was a, a yeah. great exposure. I, I, uh, sometimes tell people like there were some things we did that maybe weren't good ideas, but like it was blessed by God. It was <laughs> like, it was. I just really felt that, you know, um, I really worry with that because like, like I'm not aware of any like tragedies that happened with Exodus, you yeah. know, and I'm no real huge tragedies have happened with simple house either. And, you know, risks have been taken at different times, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't like telling people, yeah, just do what you think's right. And God will make sure nothing bad happens. You know what I mean? It's like, please don't come away from this podcast with that message, but risks were taken and no tragedies happened. Yeah. And it was yeah. beautiful. So, yeah. And we did at Exodus, like we do at a simple house, we did like trainings about, you know, how to behave in those neighborhoods and that were important, you know, like we had some safety ideas that we followed. I think that sounds right to me. I feel like that's true at Simple House too, where it's like you're taking risks, but you're also taking all the precautions you reasonably can. Like I remember going to Exodus training and it was quite good. Yeah. 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 Um, All right. Sister Anne Kettery. Yes. What do you do now? Yeah. So um, as a CFR sister in Atlantic City, so we've been in Atlantic City now for six years. Of course, our community is based up in New York, where we were founded. Um, but we were invited down to uh, Atlantic City, which is Camden Diocese, because um, there's a, a lot of poverty. Atlantic City, of course, is a casino um, town. The whole economy is based around the, the casinos. Um, 
and it's it's very broken um the 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 gambling itself the the drug epidemic uh, opioids um prostitution just the whole scene that kind of goes alongside the gambling uh brings a lot of poverty with it so there we have a drop-in center for the homeless just across the street from some of the big casinos um right in the heart of the the drug and prostitution area of the city um, so that's open two days a week um, very simple breakfast, but really more than anything, a, a, a place where people can come and, and just have community and know that they're loved um, and welcomed and safe there. Um, so that's throughout the year. And then in the winter, we have a winter homeless shelter four nights a week. Um, so that started during COVID. It was a response to the need for more safe places during COVID for homeless to be sheltered during the winter. Um, so the parish hall right next to our convent. Uh, was being unused. So since then, December through March, having a 32-bed overnight shelter, men and women, um, which has just brought us into a whole new level of relationship with the poor um, to have them with us overnight. Um, uh, Is it the type of homeless shelter where people check in each day and it's like a new crowd each day or a partially was, new crowd each day? We've been developing it the first two years. Every night was first come, first serve. Um, and so it was very little strings attached um for them to us um but we and and that was that was there's a simplicity in that and and really we're able just to welcome whoever shows up although we became so popular and it became difficult you know with only 32 beds and having 45 people line up um to on a very cold night to be turning mm -hmm. people away um and it was stress stressful for them stressful for us so this year we we, we learned from the Missionaries of Charity. We went to one of their shelters and, and saw how their format, which was to allow guests to stay for three weeks at a time. Mm. Um, and, and then after that, if the person is like actively working to resolve their homelessness, um, so they have an action plan in place, they're meeting with a social worker, um, we, would, we would let them stay. And we found that to be, it, it requires more involvement on our level to be really monitoring where they're at and, and who they're meeting with. But we find it very, um, you know, very uh, productive in terms of encouraging them to really take this, the, the steps that they need to get real help. So we'll, we'll, we are really happy with that model and we'll, we'll keep, keep, keep moving forward on that. As people like cycle out, are people still lining up at your yeah. door or are you like handing out like a ticket and being like, Hey, you come to our shelter or what? Yeah, no word of word of mouth. Um, so so with this three week limit, um, people would get a tick when they spent the night with us, they'd get a ticket in the morning to return that night. Um, so 32 beds, we've got 32 tickets in the morning. We would expect that not everybody would show back up. Um, so we'd have an extra line of, of people who were, were trying to get in. Um, usually uh, only four or five and because they would know that that we weren't going to have a lot of beds available. Um, so, so if, if two people didn't show up that night with their tickets, we'd be able to take from the extra line. And so there's still a little bit of heartbreak. Like you're still going to have two people in that line on a cold night that you have to say, sorry. Exactly. For, right. Exactly. It was still, it wasn't a, a perfect system, but, um, a, a lot less chaotic and, and difficult. Um, it was interesting this, this year now, uh, another church in the area saw our model and how we were using the parish hall. And they said, we can, you know, we can do this too. And so they also opened a shelter 
they made theirs with even stricter requirements on the guests um, having to be in county programs and they're just more um, more requirements. So then they were open seven nights a week. We were we were only four nights a week. So some of our guests, really the most helpable, the most um, capable of actually getting moving out, were, were quickly going over to this other shelter, which is good. You know, mm. um, great if, if they're better served there, better. It really left us with the most mentally ill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and we're as we're planning for this coming year, we think that that and knowing that this this new shelter is also going to be open, that that's that's going to be probably our niche. Um, those who who just don't have the capacity to 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 keep up with all of the requirements, um, they feel safe with us. They feel loved. Um, of course, we're asking how do we help them to to really actually get off the streets. Um, but it's, as you know, very tricky with mental illness mm-hmm. um, if they're not choosing it for themselves. Do the CFR sisters work alongside the brothers? Like, is there a convent or a little house of brothers near you that's also working at the shelter? Or are you guys working independently? Yeah, we're independent. Um, we're, we're definitely um, different communities, separate communities, but parallel communities. Uh, you know, when I first joined 18 years ago and there was only 12 CFR sisters total, um, we didn't have our own established apostolates. Really, at that point, only the friars had homeless shelters. They had youth groups, um, soup kitchens. Um, and we were just as sisters supporting them and plugging into them. As we've grown and the Holy Spirit has led us to to start our own ministries, um, now most of us day in and day out are both both in New York and, and here in Atlantic City where, where there are no friars. The, the closest friary to us is up in Newark, New Jersey, so two hours away. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we are working independently of them. Still, uh, in much of our, our preaching ministry, um, there's such a beauty of a complementarity between the friars and sisters that when when possible, we, we try to do things together. Youth retreats, we try to, you know, coordinate with the brothers to do together. Um, but but not for me, especially in Atlantic City, not on a on a day to day basis, maybe monthly. The sisters in New York have more crossovers, more. Do you have a group of lay collaborators? Yes, very much so. We couldn't do all of our ministry without our without our volunteers um, who just help us um, uh, so much. I mean, the, the shelter itself takes 20 volunteers a day to, wow. to, to run. Um, and we wouldn't want it any other way. Uh, you know, we definitely don't want employees. We don't want, uh, we want people who are doing this out of a uh, desire to serve Christ in the poor. Um, and we're, yeah, we're, we're South Jersey in itself, uh, is, is inherent is historically very, um, Catholic and um, there weren't many opportunities for people to serve. And we kind of came in and there was a, a perfect, and, and in some ways we were, we were close enough to New York that there, the CFR reputation kind of preceded us. There was a desire to be connected with, with our community and our ministry. Um, and it's, it's been very fruitful for us, very supportive. If you have a person um, staying with you that is maybe like ready to take some practical steps, is that something that you guys are able to do or would one of those volunteers or do you yeah, have like, yeah, uh, yeah, no, there's, we, we connect them with the social workers. We very much see ourselves as a bridge to the social workers that exist. Atlantic City does have a, a, a good uh, network of, of social workers. Um, and, and we see ourselves as that ministry of presence to be that first point of contact. And then, um, you know, as, as you know, if, if, if a person who, uh, 
uh, is using drugs, um, doesn't feel that their life is worth it, that worth anything that anybody cares about them, they're not going to be motivated mm-hmm. to take the steps. But in relationship with us and 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 our encouragement, they can. And they, if they reach that point of saying no, I want something different. Say okay, let's let's call Vinny right now. Let's get him on the phone. Let's see when it where where what program has a bed available. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we've driven people to detox. Been a few times where like the bed isn't available till the next day. And if it, if it's a woman we're accompanying, we'd say okay, why don't you spend the night here at our apostolic center and mm-hmm. um, we'll get you to detox the next morning, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, this might be obvious, but I don't remember if you said, so it's all women guests that you have in the show. No, no, oh, no, no, no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Men and women. And in some ways the men are easier. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, to be, to be a homeless woman, uh, in the dead of winter means you've probably cut all ties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, there's a reason behind that. And, mm-hmm. uh, you might not have had a good mother relationship. And so, sisters show up and and um there's it's easy uh could could be a point of attention where to many of the men we we are a mother figure that they long for and mm-hmm. they, they respect us mm-hmm. quite naturally but women the women yeah. can be can be a handful <laughs> when people when we were talking about when we were starting the shelter and, and some of the social workers say just when we're like oh no oh, I, we don't know if we can handle that <laughs> oh that's really know. interesting and and yeah. and as and as as the shelter, you know, each night we wouldn't know exactly how many men or how many women we would have. And so we'd fill the room, one men from one side, women from the other side. And then we had these portable dividing walls that we would just divide down the room. And mm-hmm. as on nights where we'd have more women, it's like, oh boy, oh boy. It's okay. Gonna, it's going to, it's going to get, it's going to get interesting tonight. Yeah. Um, but beautiful too. <laughs> beautiful. beautiful too. <laughs> so I don't have a good source for this, but my understanding was that either in the 20th century or possibly maybe it was around Vatican II or maybe it was earlier um, that the Franciscans worldwide had splintered into so many different groups that there was this effort to like bring them back at least into three major categories mm-hmm. like Capuchin or TOR. Or, I'm not even sure what the categories are. Right. But um is that true? But then like, if that's true, then you guys are kind of like a splintering off afterwards of after the great kind of yeah. um, conglomeration. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I, I can't speak too much to, to past efforts to bring us back. No. Cause our, my understanding is, yeah, we're, we're just a tree with many branches and we just say like the CFRs are like a, a new little twig off of off of one of the branches particularly off of the capuchin branch we mm. we very much uh the, the the eight friars founding friars of the of the cfrs um were capuchins and and started the cfrs in an attempt to go back to the early capuchin reform and to live those those um those goals more um intentionally is the spirit of the Capuchins kind of like a more monastic Franciscan spirituality or what is it? Yeah, um, it definitely, as we say, the early Capuchins, um, there is a, a contemplative, active combination um, that the two can't really be separated. So um, uh, to to take very seriously the aromatical um, part of our life, the, the contemplative part of our life and, and the need to have a very strong uh, prayer life. Um, but then with that in our apostolic, our, our active work 
to to not be tied too much to large institutions, to parishes. That's you know really here in the U.S. Um, where the dis- one of the distinctions came with many of the Capuchins um, who are already here being very tied to parish parochial work and 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 schools and just the burden of that um, of that bureaucracy. Um, God bless them. We need people. We need Capuchins and we need people, religious communities to run parishes and schools, but it does not keep you free to really be among the poor and to, to go where the most need is, or um, to be as apostolic as we feel called to be. Yeah. It seems like there's something with friars, um, particularly Franciscans, that there's supposed to be something that you're like not bound to place the way the monks were and that you're kind of like free of foot to be like wandering. Exactly. 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 Yeah. So to like the early monastic communities to have a strong contemplative life and, and, and times of solitude, but to not be tied to land or institutions. And to also not need to work for your own keep to actually be beggars. Yes. Right. Exactly. That, that emphasis on poverty is, is, is huge. Yeah. How does begging affect you? Like, do you spend time each week begging or? Well, um, yeah. In, in one of the sisters in the house does, um, that's one of the things that gets delegated. The, we call it, um, the quester who will beg, um, from, from our, our, our friends, um, our benefactors for, for our needs. Um, and yeah, it takes, it takes time. It takes time. And, and in, in South Jersey, we are blessed with, uh, with the over generosity of, of so many people we've never wanted for anything there. Really the hardest thing is to maintain our property, um, is to politely decline, um, all that is being offered to us, you know, to be able to, to actually live the poverty we feel called to live. In the earlier days of A Simple House, we had to um, put into practice the sugar box. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Because we would get yeah a lot of sweet treats all the time. And it yeah. was just like people were in bad moods every day at three o'clock. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. yes, to limit some of that. Yeah. Do you want to say what the sugar box is? Yeah, so the sweets that are kept in the house must be um, put up in a box. So A, that A limits, and B, this is the part Clark is really into, is that it shames the person, you know, when they get it from the <laughs> shelf. <laughs> right, right, right. This is to make it more intentional and right. not like you're walking through the kitchen and there's a brownie, right. you know, or whatever. Right, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We were yeah. always offering platters of brownies on our table, and it seemed like, People kept giving them to us, right? Yeah. you know, yeah. but I have a question about your sister who does the um, begging. So did you call her a quester or a requester? A quester. No, no. She's just questing. Quest. She's questing. Oh, yeah. that's cool. All right. And then uh, a lot of people aren't going to understand her function as being different than someone who's in like development work. You know, so what is what? How is that? I think it's probably very different. So what? what is it? Yeah, it's true. Um, well, you know, because you're asking for, for very basic necessities, you know, uh, milk, eggs, fruit um, is, is one difference. We, we try um, to, to not put too many other demands. You know, it's not we, we try to be very clear on what we want versus what we need. So you guys are saying, like, can we have 
four dozen eggs or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then, right. and, and that, and, and that we, we try to discuss amongst ourselves before we call them about what, what we need. Um, and, and, and really ask only for what we need. Sometimes in, in their kindness and the generosity, the generosity, they say, okay, this is what you need. What do you want? And you say, okay, well, there's some feast day coming up. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe if you'd want to get us something like this, we would take it. But, um, uh, so that and, and kind of waiting for it to come in and, and, and accepting what, what, it, what it is. Um, sometimes there are miscommunications and it's like, <laughs> oh, well, I, I guess this is what God wanted us to have um, this instead of that. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the simplicity in, in that sense. How big is the household you're in and how big is the total order right now? Um, we're five sisters in Atlantic City. Um, I think I think we're at 36 sisters total. That, that includes the women in, in postulancy as well. Um, women who have joined the community in Atlantic city. We have the five sisters, but then September through may, we also run a missionary program. So young women who would like to come live alongside of us, they live in our apostolic building um, and serve with us for eight months um, as they themselves discern what they're, what God is calling them to. It's definitely not meant to be um, just a stepping stone into our community, but uh, a safe healthy place for women to kind of pull away from the world and the, the kind of busyness and other responsibilities and live not our full prayer life, but mm -hmm. uh, a simplified version of it and to live with the blessed sacrament, to live uh, a prayer life, to live community life and, and service to the poor. Mm -hmm. So during the, during the year, September through May, our, our team in Atlantic city kind of doubles. We'll have four or five missionaries, five sisters. That's part of the reason why we're able to run the shelter December through March, because we have the missionaries there with us as well. So, so the quester has to quest for all. Uh, the questing job get, intensifies. That's where I was going with this. It, it intensifies during those months while she uh, is, is questing for the missionaries as well. Mm -hmm. Questing is like a very kind of sounds like a nerdy board game. Uh, <laughs> a nerdy yes. board game. Right, right, right. Well, I was going to ask, is that like an ancient Franciscan term for that role? Or is, is. that like something that in the 90s they came up with? No, no, okay, no. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, the, the, the quester. Yeah, yeah. You'll read the early early Franciscans and he was the, oh, the, the quester for, for the friary. Yeah. Um, I asked you earlier, is it true that the CFRs use no condiments? And you left because you get a lot of like, is it true that the CFRs... Yeah. XYZ all the time. Kneel, yeah. kneel when they eat their meals. Or, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Sleep on pins or, yeah. or straw. Yeah. Um, what are some of the ways? Um, and so you said a lot of like the kind of ascetic practices are personal, um, but maybe what are some of the ways that like as a community you observe your vow of poverty? Yeah. Um, I, I think what maybe one of the most notable areas is, is, is with technology. Um, you know, yes, I, I know the CFR fires in particular have a, a great social media web presence, but we're we're not all um, for the most part. We don't have cell phones, or and definitely not iPhones. And, um, and the sisters, we we especially, um, and and the main the main rule across all the CFR houses is not to have internet um, in our fires and convents, um, which keeps a simplicity of life. Mm -hmm. um, of course, more and more, we need to do things on the internet, mm -hmm. but. Um, for, for us as sisters, we don't have personal email accounts. We don't have personal cell phones. 
um, that keeps a, a simplicity uh, to our life and and uh, and a poverty. <laughs> It'd be really, be really, yeah. It's it's time consuming sometimes to mm-hmm. um, to make phone calls instead of instead of send quick emails, but but much more personal, much more yeah. personal to connect with people by phone. So um, that's one way. Um, definitely in you know yeah, food intake is another main way of ascetical um, to limit sweets to to Sundays or feast days. It matches. Our, our feasting always just matches the liturgical calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then uh, Francis, in, in his role, outlines for us the, the fasting seasons. So mm-hmm. um, from like All Saints Day, November, um, well, All Souls Day, November 2nd to Christmas is a fasting season. Um, and then um, in addition to the regular Lent, Francis suggests, it's not required, suggests uh, a fasting season starting after the the baptism, after Epiphany or the baptism of the Lord, Mm. all the way to Easter. Um, So, yeah, again, um, uh, fasting always kind of tied to the liturgical season and Friday fasts. Yeah. What are the, like, fasting, is that, like, how you fast taken from St. Francis as well or what? How, how, how do you fast? Yeah, um, he, 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 well, I, it's a good question. We just say the, the, the church fast. So like the Ash Wednesday fast of one full meal and two small meals that wouldn't equal mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. meal. Again, that's all, it's all up to each sister to mm-hmm. determine what that looks like. Nobody's going around, um, measuring what, <laughs> what another person right, put right. on their, on their plate. Yeah. Um, recognizing and, and what about as sisters grow old? Like if you've got a sister who's 50s, 60s, 70s, um, like is there a time where they're like, it seems like a 20 per, year old's observance would be different than a 60 year old's, oh, right? For, for sure. No, that's definitely, again, it's each, each person's observance is, is personal. What I kind of meant was not just with food, but like um, as people get old, do you let them like have a radio to listen to the Yankees games or, oh, you know what I mean? Like, right, right, right. Um, well, uh, you know, and the friars would probably answer that question differently. Um, uh, as of yet, the sisters, no, we haven't, we haven't gone that route, but definitely, um, different exceptions are, are made. And, um, mm-hmm. we now with our, with our founding sister, mother Lucille, um, you know, adapting i think i don't live with her personally but i know adoptions are being made to to assist mm-hmm. her in in other ways and and it will be in 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 everything you know um discernment uh how the holy spirit is leaving leading in a particular situation mm-hmm. is is the rule to be followed so yeah um so at um like over the years of volunteers, like maybe especially in the earlier days of a simple house, we like experimented a lot with different like sort of community. Uh, I don't know. And so, so there was sometimes when we were um, maybe uh, had like a wrong spirit, like, oh, we're going to be hardcore or something that wasn't like mm-hmm. actually like, <laughs> um, you know, to grow closer with God. But I, um, it has seemed to me over the years that like with the little 
asceticisms that we practice, like some people like really come alive and other people sort of like just crumble, you know, and it's not necessarily their fault or like they're doing something wrong. They maybe just don't have the same kind of taste for it or something. Mm. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Do you see that? play out with the sisters that are younger does this kind of maybe someone doesn't have a call to you if they don't Mm -hmm. enjoy it at some level Mm -hmm. or do people sometimes work through it and come to love it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah, no it's a it's a good question um yeah i I think i think in in all asceticism you know there the the motivations are are the key um Mm -hmm. why why are you doing it and if, if it's not being done out of love for Christ, um, if it's only being done because it's what everybody else is doing, um, that's not gonna you're not that's not gonna get you very far for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the need to have a, a correct motivation um, that in in doing this I'm um, I'm doing it for for love of God and it's uniting me to Him in it and um, that I'm experiencing myself as as closer to Him through this this thing that I'm, I'm giving up, um, mm-hmm. for him. Um, so yeah, if, if a person can't, uh, can't enter in to a, a faster, into a, a, some sort of asceticism with, with that motivation, they're not going to last. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so helping them and gosh, you know, as I, I say, as I say this, I know, um, I have to admit, I, I still have to grow in, in that too. Mm. Um, and, and just always be checking what, what my motivations are mm-hmm. when the longer you are in the life in some ways, the easier it is to, you're accustomed to these things. It's easier to just do it kind of out of autopilot and, yeah. and because it's expected of you. Um, but to, to really be asking myself, you know, whoa, what, why am I doing this? And, mm. What is it for? Do you ever, as a servant, have to tell people to tone it down? Or? To tone it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. You know, people ask if they can, um, if they can get up earlier um, uh, to to be praying, and I say sure. But then during holy hour, I'm watching them fall asleep constantly, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, maybe we gotta. Or <laughs> is is the Lord asking you to get up earlier, or is this your own idea of, mm-hmm. of how to? Um, yeah. So I kind of have a question about this motivation idea because like I see something in myself and I, I see something different in you a little bit that like, I know that you've kind of been, a, you've kind of had a very elite education, high school, college, and you've been around wealth from before you entered the order. And I have this thing in me that like, if I go to a really nice restaurant, I like get mad. <laughs> and it's not really a social justice mad, but it's like the portions are too small. This is all presentation. I want to eat tacos, you know, and I'm like ready to run out the door to a taco stand and like snub my no- and stick my nose up at people who I perceive as sticking my nose up, even if they didn't. Right. And I, I have this is like something in me. Yeah. Right. So but I don't I never sensed that in you that you were like leaving essentially Georgetown or, you know, and, you know, like different places you'd been, I I don't want everyone to think you grew up in Georgetown, but you know, you'd been around these places. Right. Uh, but you, to embrace voluntary poverty. Right. But it didn't feel like it had the same, you didn't have the same issue I had. Right. Like what's your attraction to this that made you really want to do it? And 
Yeah, it's it's true that having been well, at least as a as a young adult um, in a very privileged setting. I mean, I think my my early years um, growing up as the oldest of of twelve children, and um, uh, particularly being born my father's first year of medical school. Mm. My my early years were saw a lot of uh, scarcity in, in in a lot of ways, and. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, definitely as a, as a young adult being surrounded, um, by it, I, I was definitely not, um, too attra- attracted or attracted to wealth or, um, and I, and I think that, that, that came from, from a, a recognition that even though, you know, I didn't enter until I was, I was 27, 28, um, that there had been a, a call there that from the Lord mm-hmm. to to live um, for Him since since a young age and and for many years I, I buried that and kind of ran away from it but it it was there um, so when I finally did um, take those steps to to enter there was such a experience of of freedom um, from kind of this out superficial trappings of this young adult life I had been living. Um, and yeah, that this is coming into who I was meant to be, um, and to find, to find the CFR communities, to find the Franciscan, um, charism. It was like, this is what my heart was made for. And, um, uh, it was such a, a freeing, um, a freeing experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's that I still had to 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 grow through. I'll never forget when we first entered and and going on a road trip with the sisters, and we stopped at a at a you know rest stop on I ninety five, and we went in just to use the bathroom, and we didn't we didn't buy anything, we didn't buy any coffee, we didn't we didn't get any snack, we didn't, and and there was part of me that was like, wait, but like <laughs> I want I want something like yeah. <laughs> yeah like we just stopped at a rest stop just to use the bathroom, like and to refill our water bottles, but no, but nothing else like. But then after that, I was like, "Ah, oh, wow, that is that is so freeing, you know, it's so freeing to because when I drive with my family now and, and, and God bless them, you know, we stop at a rest stop and they're like, well, let's get something. Let's get some, you know, you need, you need something to drink. I'm like, Actually, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't need something. Um, silly example. But. Well, let me ask. This is another motivation question. Once again, I think you might see it as like someone who's been in the order for a while, but maybe it doesn't describe you yourself. But like. Um, I read a history of the Middle Ages that was out by Oxford Press. And one of the things it talked about was that there was this penitential movement, you know, and it would have happened right before Francis. And it would have been like people like doing these hardcore penances mm-hmm. outside cities. And I remember the line that I love the author used is it, it said that it was not like uncommon to go to confession and have them say for the next six months, you'll sit, you'll live in a tent outside the city gate and you know, beg mm-hmm, or something yeah. like this. Right. And then the author said, it's not amazing that these penances were assigned. It's amazing that these penances were done. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And which I don't think of that as a positive thing necessarily, but just like that scene was happening. And then when Francis hits, he goes from like being the only Franciscan to 10,000 in his lifetime. Right. And she was kind of like the the author was kind of creating this like story that like that's kind of why it exploded. Right. Do you today because I, I feel like I might have seen this at Simple House before 
meet people who just feel like they have to work out this penance and that that's their motivation for wanting to become a CFR because you guys are kind of the most, probably the most hardcore thing they know of, you know, or to join, you know, to work that out. Like, and when you see that, if you see that, is that someone you think you have to like not let in the order or is that a great member of the order? Yeah, no, no, no. When we see that, um, that fervor for hardcoreness and penance, yeah, it's, um, it, it comes to the question of motivation. You have to delicately start getting at why, where, where is this coming from, from them? And, and, and is it, um, is it coming from some misconception, um, almost like a Jansenism that, that our, our bodies are, um, are inherently bad and, mm-hmm. and evil and we need to be, um, we need to be as suppressed um, in our desires uh, or, or, or are they acting out of some sort of guilt or shame for, for past sin? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's so common now for, for, yeah, for, for people who've had, um, you know, past sexual sins, um, to have felt a deep level of shame or guilt and then, and then to be acting now kind of like swinging the other way and, and this intense, um, penitential. Um, and so, yeah, asking and, 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 um, yeah, gently helping them to, maybe look at what and what's behind that um because uh yeah that's not a, that that in itself is not a, a healthy motivation uh, a, a desire for it you have we have to recognize that there, there are people and i'm and the more I, I learn about um father aloysius schwartz right um from dc Do you guys are you guys familiar with him no no is venerable now venerable aloysius schwartz he um, started the children of, you know, tell me, Sisters, Sisters of Mary um, in Korea. He went to Korea to be a missionary. Um, anyway, he he was almost kicked out of seminary, almost not ordained, right? Because he um, was so intense in his penances. But that's somebody, that's, the difference in that, he's like, God is calling him to that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and, you know, many of the saints that we hear of the penances that they undertook, um, and we say, you know, um, to be inspired by them, but maybe don't imitate them. Um, it's because it has to be mm-hmm. led, led by the Holy spirit. If, if intense penances are going to be taken on. Yeah. I, I think that was one question I, uh, had was like, um, it's like you want people to be going for it in the religious life, but like, <laughs> how do you keep it from getting, from getting weird? You know, like how do you keep it healthy? You know, cause it's, it's, what you're doing is abnormal, but like it should be making all the sisters like healthier, healthier, more yeah, themselves, exactly, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Healthier, flourishing, um, happier, healthier, happier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To say it's, yeah. what we're doing is not natural. It should be supernatural. Mm-hmm. Not um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys read the little flowers of St. Francis of spiritual reading? <laughs> Good question. No. That's a good book if anyone's interested. Right, right. And we we um we we read um the other um, early texts of the life of, of Francis um, Bonaventure and Chalano. 
um, we have a familiarity with the stories of the little flowers, but we, yeah, it's not mm -hmm. part of ever our assigned reading. <laughs> yeah, there was a scene in there when uh, Brother Juniper, who has all the best stories, are about Brother Juniper, you know, and he like he somehow like ends up stripping naked. I, I don't want to tell the whole story, but when he strips naked as like part of this, like being obedient in this weird way, uh, they go and the brothers realize that they were to be edified by this, but not to imitate, <laughs> yeah. imitate this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Um, okay. I have this memory of you saying this story uh, many, many years ago. And so my memory could be totally wrong. I have this memory of you coming back from visiting the CFRs and say, and you saying that I knew I had a vocation when the sisters were sitting around singing, sitting on a dock by the bay. Yes, that's right. Is that real? <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. That's right. I had been visiting the sisters for um, a couple of times already. And um and yeah, we were at a Thanksgiving celebration. So the Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, uh, we were with all the friars. They they were running two homeless shelters in the Bronx and we had had a beautiful prayer service. Um, and then we went downstairs and had a um, incredible Thanksgiving meal. And I just remember looking around and it was the very wealthy uh, benefactors, the volunteers, the friars and sisters, and then the homeless. And one of the homeless guys got up to sing, sitting on the dock of the bay, Otis Redding. And um yeah, there's something in that moment. I just felt so at home. I just felt like, you know what? I, I could, I looked around at the sisters and the friars and like, these women could be my sisters for the rest of my life. These men could be my brothers. Um, my, my family, my big kind of crazy family um, would fit in here. And I would bring any of these people back to my parents' house. And um, I, I think this could be it. Yeah. It just felt like, it felt like home. And, um, and, and, and I was, I was so struck that, what we profess to be one family under one father, um, what we had just prayed upstairs in our, it was like a, a Eucharistic Holy Hour of Thanksgiving, was being really lived out uh, at this meal. And um, yeah, something something clicked. It was the, the aha moment that I was like, I think this could be it. <laughs> Um, I've never heard anyone say that, uh, like about their religious community, like I could bring these people back to my parents, which is like what you think about when you're yeah. dating someone. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. How is your motivation? Like when you first joined the order, you must have had a certain fire motivation, right? And now that you are been in for like 18 years and are the, you know, running one of the convents, right? Where's the satisfaction coming now compared to like that beginning? And what's the like fruit that it bears for you now compared to that beginning? Yeah, good question. I think, you know, when I first entered, there was just a, such a certainty about the, that, I, that I had a call, that God had chosen me for this. Um, you know, as you, as you probably remember, I was engaged to be married. And um, again, after having had a sense that I had a, a religious calling for many years and kind of with deciding um that that wasn't going to make me happy and getting engaged and then and then into the engagement feeling a total lack of peace so um yeah entering so just felt like this is what god's will is um now the motivation is a, a spousal love um that there by god's grace this vocation has just deepened 
um, and, and particularly through my, my, um, my vows um, and, and, and making final vows now nine years ago. Um, just a, a recognition that this is all out of love for Jesus Christ, my spouse. That that's why I I get up in the morning, why I strive to do what I do, um, uh, and an awareness of Him living in me. Um, that that I am trying not to do any of this on my own, but that our my my union with with the the Triune God in my soul um, to be His instrument in the world. So, and I think I think I you know. Uh, when I entered, I, I could have said that on one level in my head, but I think I know it just now so much more deeply. Um, when you entered, you didn't probably have much responsibility, like you would have been in formation. And now you have responsibility, right? Like, do you feel like that motherhood is like a good way to describe that responsibility? Or is that just like Catholic slang that we all throw around? <laughs> You know, like, is it, is it much more about romance with Jesus, like that type of like, and, you know, feeling, or is it about like, no, I have these people who I need to be, you know, spilling myself out for all the time. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, uh, no, no, it's spiritual motherhood is, uh, very, very much, um, my, my work, um, Particularly with as superior with the sisters that I serve, um, you know, when I kind of write out my my goals for the week, my my to do list for the week, my goals for the month, um, I don't write, um, and I have the different the different categories, um, my own personal life with the Lord, the responsibilities I have as a superior of the house. I don't write superior. I write mother. My responsibilities as mother. Um, and I look at each of the sisters and, and what their needs are for the month and, and how I can be attentive to those needs. Um, so there's the sisters, the, the, the missionaries that I direct for the eight months um, as well, um, that accompaniment. Um, and, and then there's, and then there's the, the poor. And because of the responsibilities, I am less, um, for me, the poor takes third place because the sisters and the missionaries are, are are more where my my energies are focused mm -hmm. the other sisters in the house um the the poor is, is where they really experience their spiritual motherhood first and foremost do you have some go ahead go okay ahead, um just related to motherhood i i was wondering if you had uh like wisdom from the convent for you know like i'm uh at home a lot with my five kids and surrounded by a lot of moms that are faithful but um like burdened by many things <laughs> and um it's like their eyes are set on god and on heaven but things feel murky and hectic sometimes <laughs> mm -hmm. um yeah yeah um i think with all of us who are striving to be holy and to do god's will um there's so many good things um it can get overwhelming and, and so many demands on our time um, so discernment is is huge and knowing our priorities is huge and and taking the time um for me each each day um each each even each week kind of step back and what are my, my priorities for the week mm -hmm. what are my priorities for the day once i have a, a clarity um 
and I, I just can't have too many. Mm. I just can't, can't have too many priorities. Um, that um, that this is what uh, God's asking me, with, and it's it's most often uh, relationship based. You know, to to be attentive to my husband and my children, um, for, for mothers. Um, that then then the rest you just have to be be okay with letting the rest fade away. Mm-hmm. The rest. Um, so the priorities to help with with discernment to have a clarity about that um and i always find that in a moment of of trying to choose like um what's the eternal eternal value here or or worrying about um yeah a lot of things i find myself anxious or stressed about like in in the grand scheme of eternity is this important Mm -hmm. um is this important no it's not okay then, then let it go one of my favorite expressions has right well is that like uh in grand scheme of eternity is this important and if not like let it go like we'll just let it go and um my other thing is like now's not the time for that like um i've um i'm particularly with my thoughts i i can't allow and it's 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 my biggest challenge is is to discipline my thoughts and even in when i'm when i'm brushing my teeth to be attentive to God's presence within me and not allowing my thoughts to just go whatever, which way. Mm. Um, because that dissipates and that distracts and that, and that's what causes uh, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, by brushing my teeth and attentive to God's presence within me and to the task of brushing my teeth well, um, then I, I brush my teeth and I'm done with that and I move on to the next thing and I'm attentive to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so discernment, prioritizing, um, and and for me now the the big and and I, I think for most of us it's not letting our minds run to every which way, mm-hmm. but striving striving to simply be present to to God in the moment. When you say run every which way, um, do you mean just kind of run to all types of you know more or less innocent types of distractions, or do you mean like um you know, fretting about, you know, judging someone or, you know, whatever someone's doing to bother you or, you know, things like that. Like, like, are you, are you kind of including all types of thoughts? Like just always stay focused or are you kind of meaning these kind of more dangerous pitfalls, you know? Yes. First and foremost, the, the, the dangerous pitfalls of, um, of yeah, worry, judgment, anger, um, but but really, I'm finding that even um, trying to plan what I'm going to do tomorrow while I'm brushing my teeth, um, it actually, it is counterproductive. Um, I to brush my teeth in a in a in a distracted way, and and, and again, thinking about tomorrow, I I really can't do two things at one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as I like to think that I can, I can't. And and so to be present, to be aware of God's presence within me, brush my teeth, um, I'll actually be more productive than trying to think about what I need to do tomorrow and, and, and do this at the same time. When you like the idea of trying to like discipline your thoughts, like throughout the whole day, like said, like that sounds tiring to me, but it sounds like you're saying it's actually yeah, more life-giving, more life-giving, more life-giving. And, and the, the, um, and again, I'm, I'm saying this not because I do this uh, by any means well, but I'm, I'm striving for it and I'm realizing the more that I do it, um, 
the more I can be attentive to the Holy Spirit's promptings. Mm. And then that's really where, um, where things happen when, uh, when the Holy Spirit, you know, um, yeah, prompts me to do something that I, I really hadn't even been thinking of. But if I'm, if I'm constantly trying to micromanage uh, every second of my day and, and, uh, and of the next day, and I, I can't be attentive to those promptings. So. Mm. Something we do at Simple House, I'm going to ask this because I'm wondering if there's a parallel in your life that like we want everyone to have a spiritual director, but then also once a month we like kind of have coffee or have a sit down with everyone one-on-one like Laura does it with some people in DC and I do it also. And, um, that's been very positive. Mm, Yes. Right. Do you guys have something like that where like the sisters sit down with you or you sit down with someone like once a month or how's that work? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I, I speak with my, um, with the community superior, mother Claire once a month. Um, of course, yes. Each sister has a spiritual director that they're meeting with, um, once a month as well. Um, but I, um, uh, speak with the community superior, Mother Claire, once a month to to make sure that what we're doing at the convent is is really in keeping with what the whole community is doing. And um, and but then once a week, um, the sisters meet as a house to to discuss the logistics and, and the planning of the week. But then very much to um, share together on a deeper level uh, how we're doing. Um, but even there, we have a real growing sense of intention, intentionality about how are we living um, our rule, that um, our, our rule of life is, um, uh, is, is what we've promised to live. It's what binds us together. It's what makes us CFR sisters. And so uh, attentiveness and intentionality and, and are we being faithful to that? And, 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 and my, my role as local superior is, is primarily to ensure that uh, at this house we're living the rule faithfully. Um, so it is, it is my job if I see somebody not living something in our rule to gently and in a motherly way point that out to them. And, and, and sisters, other sisters do that for me too. I'm not exempt um, from being called out. Thank goodness I need it too. So... Are there any like funny or um, interesting like community killers that like <laughs> you want people to avoid? You know? Like, uh, yeah, or just yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, taking taking on too much, uh, and that's not fu- not funny or interesting. It's, yeah. it's just the obvious, right? Um, uh, taking on too much, um, getting spread too thin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I think it's like the, the number one the thing. Number one. Yeah. 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 That, that, um, uh, Francis was so, so big again, that, that we have to have our, our, our prayer life, our community life, um, and our apostolic life has to come third that we always, we, we see, um, one as support, you know, supporting and, and, um, building on the other that, that first and foremost is our, is the prayer life and then community life and then apostolic life. Um, and, uh, you can't have, you can't have, apostolate can't come before either of the other two. It really has to flow from that union with God out into the apostolate. None of that is funny or interesting, but, or well, funny, or funny, but yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is there, um, is that like a temptation that just you have to be 
just aware of all that. Like, I, I would think if you have, like, if you're sheltering 23, 32, 32, 32 homeless people, there's always, like, you could always be doing more. For yes, them. exactly. Yeah. Okay. yeah. No, the strong sense of, of boundaries mm-hmm. and what, what is ours to do and what is mm-hmm. not. I mean, to, to turn somebody away, um, uh, you know, to turn the 33rd person away is is not easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have a clarity, you know, this God isn't calling me to house 33 people tonight. He's asked me to do 32. Um, uh, 32 is what we can do well. Um, we, most nights, the sisters are not the ones to stay overnight. Mm-hmm. We have um, three overnight volunteers each night. And and so it's not fair for me to take on a 33rd person when I'm not going to be the one staying overnight. So, yeah, yeah to be able to mm-hmm. have that clarity. So I don't think this is like directly related to your role, but like what are the sisters looking for in like... Um, new people and then also related um like are there any trends uh that you see or changes over the time that you've you know been there with new people coming as well as like maybe the the young women coming to the missionary program yeah so new new vocations Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you know definitely um the past years the um there's there's a real need for young women to uh to kind of detox from our from our from our culture from the um, social all the social media in particular um, to um, know how to in a healthy way relate and communicate and um, all those skills we're seeing less and less formation and and basic human. Uh, relationships and and human skills and a lot more of that needs to be taught now mm. um the the there's always um uh, a, a good amount of healing that needs to happen and, and and a lot of it just has to do with the prevalence of you know sexual promiscuity at early ages now um that for somebody to be able to come and to be able to live chastity um for the rest of their life need to have been able to heal from that mm-hmm. um and from that from from broken broken family relationships um to be able to make a lifelong commitment of giving yourself you need to really fully possess yourself mm-hmm. and and to know to know yourself and to know yourself as loved to know yourself as loved you can't um again be giving uh giving yourself and giving jesus to others if you are wounded in a major in, in major ways um i don't it might not be exactly right to separate these two but how much of that like do you address like with like spirituality and how much with like psychology yeah yeah um yeah the two are are, are closely connected um we uh really recommend for for women who are coming um to us to have 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 done both you know spiritual uh healing um through something like unbound or dr bob shoots um be healed um the healing of the whole person um great resources for people to get in touch kind of with early hurts and wounds and areas Mm -hmm. to be healed um uh but then but then counseling too um that that many people need the accompaniment of a professional um, to to talk through yeah. these things and get the the tools that they need. 
And that should be done before entering or is um, it ever I, done maybe overlapping or yeah yeah some yeah we we, we really uh, encourage counseling to be done before entering um there's there's many times that as a as a woman goes through the intensity of of formation particularly the novitiate um that a need for counseling might arise mm. um and so we try to make that available to sisters as they need it but a, a lot of things a lot of if the counseling's intense, it's hard to do that while also going through formation. Um, sure. And, yeah. and having multiple people examining you, um, <laughs> and, and yeah. it's, it's hard to be attentive to both processes. So it's, it's not uncommon for somebody to recognize during early formation that they need counseling. And then, then the decision is eventually made that the counseling has to happen outside of community. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so are people, then leave, get counseling, and are sometimes able to come back. Sometimes, okay. yeah. Sometimes Not able to sometimes come back. Yeah. yeah. No, it's all, all very personal. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting because <clears throat> I find that the CFR, what does the R in CFR stand for? A renewal. It's a good question. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, good. All right. So it's Capuchin Friars at the Renewal. No, it's actually, um, that's what they wanted it to be. Um, and that's okay. why, that's, but they, the Capuchins didn't allow them to keep Capuchin. It's part of the title. So it's um, Community of Franciscans of Renewal. That's what this, the C is, Community of Franciscans of the Renewal. Clark and I argued about this, but I think we were both I, think, wrong. I feel like what she just said, though, was different than our argument. I think we were arguing about what does the R stand for. I didn't know that the C had changed. No, we argued about the C, but I think we were both wrong. Yeah, it gets people. Yeah. yeah. So, but are you still, what, what is, I, I do have, all right, I kind of want to go back in time, but like, but let's talk about right now. Are you guys like a diocesan right order? And are you, what is your relationship with the broader Capuchin order? What's, what's going on? Yeah, there's no official relationship with the broader Capuchin order. The friars, so again, we're, st- we are two separate communities and the friars are already um, in uh, pontifical in, in 2013. They wow. received their pontifical status. Yeah. How big are they? They are maybe hundred in the hundred forties or something like that. Um, sisters were much smaller again, thirty six. We are still just a public association of the faithful. Um, I think it's usually forty two sisters needed in vows before you could be considered for diocesan. Mm. Um, and even though Cardinal Dolan as our diocesan ordinary who kind of oversees us still at this point is very encouraging to us. That's just a requirement that has to be probably fulfilled first. So we, we do very much hope the sisters hope to be diocesan uh, in the coming years, but we're not there yet. All right. So I now want to say some things that you don't have to put your name on because maybe it'd be too scandalous if you put your name on it. But <laughs> so you guys, so the, the CFR movement started with eight men who were Capuchin, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Most prominent of which in my mind would be Benedict Rochelle, right? Right, And a lot of people know him because he used to be on EWTN all the time. He wears a gray robe like you and, yeah. and does like usually church history, it seems like, yeah. you know? Um, and he's also, what's interesting when you were talking about counseling and psychology is he is basically an Ivy League psychologist. Right. Am I right? Like very well-trained yes. psychologist yes. and, and still had that profession even once he was religious, like a psychologist for priests and religious maybe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, exactly. So your guys's order is interesting to me because there was 
particularly in the nineties, maybe less so now, but this, this thing's always relevant, but it was like even more relevant in the nineties that there needed to be some increased spirituality. There needed to be an increased emphasis on poverty. There needed to be a renewal, you know, and instead of just going all spiritual and acting like the psychology didn't matter, you actually were founded by a psychologist. Right. Right. So you were both very much increased spiritual, but not leaving the psychology off the table. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's, I think it's true. And there's this other thing that happened that the, the men's order kind of takes off and they have Benedict Grishel on TV all the time. Right. But even in the early days, there was like, um, I'm saying this for you to correct because I don't know that my history is right. But there was like, I don't know if you call it a schism or people who were who were saying, hey, no, we want to do the reform in a different way. Like maybe the friars of the primitive observance. And then I even think they had a splinter group off that, you know. And I remember when I visited the CFRs about 25 years ago now and just spent three days with them. I'm a very critical person and I couldn't find anything to critique like I knew it wasn't for me, but I wasn't like able, I didn't have any critique, you know? And then when I heard that people had split off from them be over, like I was told it was over refrigeration, which I don't know if that's true. I was like, those guys are jerks. <laughs> <laughs> like this is hard I won't enough. Put, I won't put my <laughs> name to that statement. For I know. Sure. <laughs> I don't ask you too, but like, I was like, it's like, you can't split over refrigeration. Um, but anyway, but that is that also why the sisters, in a sense, have not tracked with the brothers as far as growth and things like that because of these splinters that happened? And um, No, I think it's uh, partly because the, the men started with um, eight finally professed friars who are already well-known and well-established. Um, already in active ministry in many areas. The women started a year later with five, um, six, uh, six women who were all uh, lay women who were interested in starting something like the Friars. So when they began, um, when they received permission from Cardinal O'Connor to start by just living in, in community under the guidance of Father Andrew Apostoli, one of the original eight CFR Friars, um, uh, he, he too really felt the need for uh, a, a complimentary women's group. And Father Benedict, you know, as they discussed it, Father Benedict said, you know what, Andrew, you have more experience with women, uh, guiding women religious. Why don't, why don't you spearhead this? So Father Andrew became our founder. Um, uh, but the, the women needed to first be formed as religious women. Um, so they brought in two Franciscan sisters from another community mm. to help guide uh, guide them. And, um, so it just, it was a much slower process. And then yes, in the, in the, in the splintering and that happened in 1994, five of those original six left leaving just mother Lucille or who we really look to as, um, our founding sister then, mm -hmm. uh, to, to stay, to stay the course and kind of see if our sisters community, um, although we started in 1998, eight, 1988, 1988, um, really then not until the mid to late 90s was starting to gain some mm. traction and, and to start growing. Um, so slower, slower region. And then, um, yeah, I think um, just uh, as a community of women, um, we're, we're never going to be as as large or as public as the Friars. Um, 
we don't think um, we don't you know really feel called to to that. Um, and I think there's something just very natural and, and beautiful and feminine uh, about about our our role as it's continuing to develop as a parallel community supporting the friars in different ways. Um, but we we'll we don't feel you know the need to be as out front um, as out in social media in particular as as the friars. Um, so do you have a sense of what you feel like the broader mission of your order is, or the niche you feel you're serving within the church? Meaning like, do you see that this movement, this order that you're in should grow quite a bit to fill some need or that just what you're doing is exactly what you should be doing? Or I, I don't even know how to ask this question correctly, but do you have like some vision or some idea of like, what you do within the church and why it's different, why it's particular, what the future of it is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, you know, I think SCFR sisters, we're still, it's still, it's still developing. Um, uh, and that we, um, we are in a process of, of maturing and, um, articulating w- uh, what, what our role is. I mean, our, our charism to, um, serve, the materially poor and to do works of evangelization. Um, there's definitely a need for both of those things very much in the church. Um, and we have, um, yeah, it's particularly our, our works of evangelization um, have, we've come to see are, are very much Eucharistic based and leading people into an encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist. Um, very much our, our youth ministry, our, our preaching ministry, uh, very much has that that focus and is is very needed. And the Lord has been using us, I think, in in a particular way in, in that realm. Um, in our in our in our homeless ministry, um, our ministry with the poor, um, this motherly ministry of presence and and accompaniment. Um, is is just so so needed um uh and i think yeah as as people um become you know more and more estranged from each other um with social media and and um uh all these other isolating behaviors that people are uh, the, the need to just be real people doing real things um and and being uh yeah just with people um as 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 spiritual mothers is is more and more needed so um beyond that i think it's still kind of developing um as we as we grow and we we just went through a process of rewriting our constitutions which was very um our, our rule a rule of life and that was very formative for us. And I think now um, it's, it's a matter of like really knowing our rule and, and living it well, and bringing it, bringing it to life. So I, I wonder what I'll, how I would answer that question in five years. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, that's actually where I almost wanted to say was I, I would like, I don't know how long our project will go on. <laughs> Hopefully some of some podcast is here to stay, but like if it does go on, I would like to have you back on at some point. You know, yeah. I don't want to go down this road on this interview, but like, how relevant is it to ask you questions like, 
So what'd you think of Trump getting elected? No, <laughs> or I don't know, unless you want to Cut answer that. that. But I know I don't want to ask you that now, but I'm almost like, are you so sheltered from the news that like weird curveballs that are happening in our society? You're like, we're just loving the poor over here and, and praying. You know what I mean? No, no comment. Or is it like, oh no, we thought about that. We talk about that when we're hanging out as sisters, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, a mix of both. We aren't, we aren't talking about it too much. We aren't too exposed to the news. It's true. We just, that's not, we don't feel like that's our, our role. We, we need to be aware of what's happening. Um, we need to, um, but yeah, we don't get, we don't, we try not to, we don't get too distracted too, too involved. Right now I have this impression that you guys pray a lot. You serve the poor, you live in an intense community, but like, is someone like, reading Tolkien and getting in arguments at the community table, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, like what is the recreational or like, what's the wild things? Yeah. The wild things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Walking outside your door and finding somebody, uh, overdosing from drugs is, is usually like what the wild, the wild okay, things that's are. That's very much on mission though. Yeah. That's, that's so true. Just staying focused. <laughs> yeah. Some people, some, some sisters read Tolkien. Are we getting in arguments about it? No. Am, am I, am I, I'm not a token reader myself. I would love to be, I would love to have the time for it to be it. Um, am I asking the sisters who are token readers? Wow. Tell me about that. Yeah. What did you read? Like, uh, uh, explain this from Lord of the Rings for me and, and hearing about it. Um, do you have like an active chess club or crossword <sighs> puzzles or no, sometimes there's a jigsaw puzzle going, um, not in my house per se. Um, I mean, there's, there's one, somebody started, well, I was away um, and in the basement, they haven't picked it up again. Um, and that's fine if they wanted to do puzzles, but no, if, if we have some, if we have some time on Sundays, um, going for hikes, um, uh, is, is, uh, a, a go-to, we, we live just two blocks from the ocean. So, um, going out to the ocean is always nice going for a walk on the beach. Um, you you don't swim or do you swim? No. Yeah. Mm -mm. Not in public. Yeah. Would fishing be? Fishing, I know. Simple House has is. We do. You guys do a lot of fishing, right? Um, in the past, we have. I think we're short. Park now wants kinda... to visit you and try out ocean fishing. And I try oh, ocean fishing. That's, that's my going. goal this summer is Got to it. do ocean fishing. <laughs> but it. like, yeah. So I'm just kind of. So hikes are are kind of the best example I think so far. That's like recreation. The hikes, yeah, yeah. During during the missionary year, we um we have the school, the Catholic school gym reserved Saturday nights for gym oh, nice. night to play any a range range of different sports or made up games or I don't know, run <laughs> yes. around, run around. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Music, listening to Father Isaiah. You know Brother Isaiah's music? No? Oh gosh. Should we we should, should yeah, should yeah. Is he a CFR? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Father oh, yeah, Isaiah, no, Father Tanzi. What is he the rapper? I thought there was a CFR rapper. Oh Father Stan. Okay, different guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um look we have yeah. Um, and another one, yeah, and a third one is coming. Yeah, right, so for those of you just listening, yeah, Laura and sister Ann Cattery are holding up children's books, very beautiful children's books. Um, and this one is called The Unsolvable Problem. Um, mm -hmm. and so in the past, sister Ann Cattery has told me like some awesome stories of God providing 
for the order. Um, I remember a story that was like uh, one of the sisters said something like, oh, it would be nice if we had some beer for this like event and and, and got beer provided the yeah. beer. Yeah. <laughs> and um, provided yeah. the beer by someone walking up to the door and giving beer or yeah. because it like magically appears in the refrigerator. No, no. Somebody walking up to the door and, and giving the beer. Yeah. And beer. is that in the children's book? That's, that's <laughs> not in the children's book. Yeah. yeah. That okay. Um, right. I, I remember like hair conditioner and beer and other things yes. being sort of wonderfully, generously provided by God. And I really enjoyed those stories. But this children's book, The Insolvable Problem, is about a time that God provided miraculously. For our, yeah. our Fourth of July barbecue in East Harlem. Yeah. True story. Of, of us uh, wanting to throw a beautiful 4th of July barbecue and not having what we needed and it showing up the, next, the day before, July 3rd. Um, but The Unsolvable Problem does a great job of just um, ex, uh, exposing kids to religious life, to the fact, to who we are and what we do and that we live in a convent and how we pray. And um, Mother Claire's mission is really to help um, Catholic children know that religious sisters still exist and what do they do. Um, and a little insight into their life, um, since so few Catholic children grew up actually really knowing any mm -hmm. sisters, um, that they won't know that it's a possible life vocation if they don't know it, it exists. So The Unsolvable Problem was the first in Mother Claire's series. Um, the series is called The Little Convent in the Big City, um, and you can find it at the littleconvent.com website. Um, and the Unsolvable Problem was just uh, animated um, and can be found now as an 18-minute cartoon. And it was so well done. Uh, so that can be found. In, and then her second um, story, uh, The Light in You, kind of a, a Christmas story of a home, home visit to a, um, a blind man in New York that we were in a relationship with for many years. And he ended up coming with us to Christmas Eve, Midnight Mass. Very, very beautiful. And her third story, I think, is going to be called The Biggest Family Ever and mm -hmm. tells of Sister Mary Andy. So Sister Mary Andy is our um, protagonist in all these stories. Um, Sister Mary Andy's final vows, what, uh, what the final vows were like, the poor that came to it, her, her own family came to it. And um, yeah, kind of teaches again uh, a bit more uh, without being explicitly trying to teach young children about vows and chastity um, uh, through Sister Mariani's story and, and circumstances kind of uh, explaining that a bit. So yeah, highly recommend it to families like both of yours. Great. I feel like we just barely even got the tip of the iceberg, but we, it's been a already a longer <laughs> Do you have any final yeah. thoughts about anything you want to share? Sorry. Yeah, no, yeah. just, you know, people are interested. Our, our website, franciscansisterscfr.com. A great place to see what we're up to. Watch some of our YouTube videos. Um, uh, yeah, we can more, put more the info, links. More, yeah, we'll more put the links there. there. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Pray for us. Thank you, Sister Ann Cattery, for coming on the Simpleton Podcast. It's an honor. Uh, thank you, Laura. And you've been listening to the Simpleton Podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share. All right. Talk to you guys later.